All right, everyone, welcome back to another roundup, the first roundup of the new year with my uh, beloved co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. I give you oh, beloved because I just, I missed you over the break, my friend. No, I missed, I, missed you, I missed you as well. That's the perfect word for, you know, we're recording this on, on uh, Three Kings Day, the Feast of mm. the Epiphany, uh, the 12th day of Christmas, technically the 12th day of Christmas. And, you know, so much about that. We're going to weave into a bunch of stuff here, but you know, we'll start with the reveal. So I got, mm. you know, I do have the, the Bitcoin orange pants on and I have the, it's the uh, having 2020, but it's really because of mining. What, everything I'm going to talk about today has to do with, with mining and, and hard assets and, and the like, uh, as we kind of talk about what's going to be hot in, in 2023. But the having 2020, you know, uh, is important because we're we're coming up in about three months to that period where crypto spring ends, crypto summer begins, and we head toward the the next having in 2024. And uh, I also, am, am, you know, we we did our uh, predictions thing with with the guys a couple weeks ago, last episode of 2022 T O O. Good riddance, like in the rearview mirror. I agree. And uh, so I'm excited about about 2023. And and the, so what I want to do is, um, my son was working on a, a poetry project last night for for sixth grade, and it kind of inspired me. And so I think we're gonna we're gonna do our predictions, our macro predictions for the year, in haiku. So I'm gonna challenge you, Michael, oh Michael oh to uh, to haiku. So I, I my first one that I sat down last night. All that glitters when central banksters print and print gold and orange coin. So that's a that, pretty good haiku. That's, that's good. one. That's mm, one. Okay. Uh, and then I, I came up with one actually this morning in the shower that I haven't written down, but uh, rock, paper, scissors, question mark, paper beats rock, period. Investing, question mark. Rock will beat paper. So again, back to mm. the mining theme, uh, hard assets. You know, buy what's buy what is hard. Uh, mm. Get real. Another hashtag of mine. Um, another another one. Inflation fading. Economies are slowing. Liquidity reigns. Mm. So the pivot is definitely here. Uh, another one. I tweeted something out from. Um, uh, Brian Sullivan, uh, who does the really early show, uh, the 5 a.m. show on CNBC. And he said, even if over the next 30 years, we get to 120 million EVs on the planet from you know 15 million today, we have no decrease in the demand for oil because mm. you got to transport all the stuff to make the EVs all around the world. So mm. uh, oil and gas reviled. Demand destruction subsides, prices head for skies. So I think there is, is serious melt-up risk in the oil market. Um, you know, one of my favorites since I just seated a, a European long only manager, heard Europe was dead. No good companies around buy what is on sale. <laughs> so uh, those are a few of mine for, oh, there's another one. COVID zero gone. China valuations low, stimulus to flow. That's mm. with the liquidity reigns. Uh, oh, and then one more. Uh, King dollar dethroned, hegemony up for grabs, yuan, then Bitcoin. 
So mm. those are my haiku. Those were, wow, Mark. First of all, I'm impre- you're a renaissance man, my friend. We've got financial <laughs> predictions in the form of haiku. That's, uh, that's very impressive. Um, I feel a little underprepared. Uh, I'll be honest. We, we record these guys at, at 8 a.m. on Friday. So it was a little while for me to get, get ready for the 8 a.m., I cannot come up with haikus on the spot. Today. <laughs> my, my brain is not that awake at this All point. Right. So, uh, and, and, and I didn't do it on the spot. I mean, yeah. you know, he was sitting there struggling to write his. <laughs> and uh, I, I sat there and, and did a few of, of my own. Oh, the other one I want to talk about, um, Colleen Sullivan, who is probably listening um, mm. oh, she's uh, on, on Saturday morning. So in the future, uh, good friend, uh, had this great tweet that I retweeted. By 2025, which is not very far from now, there will be 2 billion Gen A's, Gen Alphas, the largest generation ever. Mm. 385,000 Gen Alphas born each day, fully digital native. They'll never use a physical wallet. They'll never set an analog, analog alarm clock. They will never put film in a camera. They mm. will all use crypto. Mm. Love that. Love, Love that. What's Generation Alpha? I've actually never, I've never heard that it's term. It's after Gen Z, right? So it's, uh, it's the kids being born now. So mm. it's, I guess it's the, you know, the echo boomers are the Gen X, Gen Y. So my kids. Mm. And then I guess the Gen X kids. Yeah. My daughter's kids are yeah. all Gen Alphas. So, mm. you know, it's interesting kids that are going to be born over the next uh, handful of years, um, and probably have been born for the last, you know, five or six years. There's a great anecdote. Um, there was, uh, a woman who was very senior at a big bulge bracket bank and they do a, they do a, a poll for incoming. I forget what, what is the lowest level? It's below associate at a bank analyst, maybe Yeah, analyst. And, and for, in, for incoming interns and yeah, analyst analysts. program. And one of the, and one of the questions that they'll ask is who is your banking provider and they'll have you know the like you know jp morgan chase bank of america etc and the biggest respondent in the last year was other and many it was none of the major banks and it was uh yeah all these kind of alternatives which is just an interesting just an interesting statistic you know well, how, and, it, and it's it's work. it's super interesting in fact it was funny just just uh the other the other day it hit me I never thought about this when we were when we were rocking and rolling four years ago. But when you know Jason and Pomp and I formed Morgan Creek Digital, I never realized that it was JPM, Jason Pomp and Mark. Um, yeah. So the new JPM or the anti JPM, uh, and and that that is that is why we're in the then they fight you phase, right? That mm-hmm. is why we're going through all this this nonsense right now. It mm-hmm. is the banks realizing what you just said, Michael, that mm-hmm. these Gen Alphas and Gen Zs they don't need no stinking banks. Mm. And that is a problem. And, and, you know, um, do you know, Tur Demester, 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 um, love him and, uh, tried to go into business with him a long time ago, but, Mm. uh, he moved to Austin instead, but, uh, Mm. Austin's almost as good as Chapel Hill, but he should have come to Chapel Hill and Tur, if you're Mm. listening, you know, still come to Chapel Hill. Um, but he tweeted out a great chart, unbelievable chart. You know, we talk about S curves all the time. You know, first decade, first ten percent; next decade, next eighty percent; and then the last decade, uh, the last ten percent. And that's any trend, right? <clears throat> and he showed um, cars. And in nineteen hundred, 
the automobile was 14 years old, mm. right? And only about 10% of people had an automobile. Mm. And then there was this inflection point over the next uh, decade where 90% of people had automobiles and the horse's carriage went away. And so turns out Bitcoin is 14 years old, about the same as, as the automobile, and probably going to have the same type of, of adoption. Uh, but I just thought that was, you know, when we talk about technological innovation, disruption, you know, it's on the outs right now, right? I mean, Kathy, poor Kathy, you know, down every single day, right? People are just selling ARC. You know, I joke, the ARC has sprung a leak. And everyone thinks innovation's dead. Look, I'm old. I lived through 2001, 2002. This is exactly, like, like exactly what happened in 2001, 2002. Mm. Enron defrauded people. Tyco defrauded people. People were like, oh, this, this, you know, WorldCom, you know, square inch real estate. There'll never be, you know, this internet thing. It's going to die. And pets.com is stupid. And you guys are all idiots. And, you know, board was like ready to fire us at, at UNC for investing in this stupid stuff. And then, you know, we had this art technology group thing where, you know, we put in uh, a for every dollar we put in, our cost of the stock was 50 cents and we sold it for a hundred dollars. made 200 times our money, turned a hundred thousand dollars into $20 million for the university. They're like, oh, I like that. Do, do that. More. <laughs> do more of that. Yeah. Do more of that. Do more of that. Yeah. But then it went to zero. Literally, the stock went to zero. The company, well, and, but then here's the interesting thing. And this is another chart that I saw this morning uh, that's amazing. If you look at all the comparisons of the bubble that we just lived through to 2000, mm. right? They all look the same, right? NASDAQ went up and then it went down 84% and you know, Peloton went up and went down and Tesla went up and went down and you know, everything looks like this bubble chart. But then this, this guy put the next part of the chart, which is, yeah, then NASDAQ went parabolic. Now it took 20 years, but it went super parabolic, went way higher than the 2000 peak. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I use that. I talked to my dad about that for a long time when he was, you know, talking to me about getting in crypto and he's like, you know, don't you notice parallels to the early dot com days? And said, even if like, let's take that exact analogy, right. And put yourself in the shoes of someone who's living through the dot com bubble. Let's say you lose an enormous amount of the money that you've invested in your assets. If your perspective at that time living through that was, I'm still going to stick in this industry and stay through it. You did phenomenally well. And exactly. there's, an, there's, there's an irony in people saying innovation is dead. There's no more innovation. These tech stocks are getting necessity is the mother of invention. In my, in my experience, it's just at Blockworks, our most innovative things that we've done have not happened during crazy bull market periods. There are during periods where things aren't so good and you have to get down to brass tacks and say, how are we going to solve problems? And we don't have as much money as we'd like. We need to be innovative around things. Like that's what, that's what interest rates are doing. They're setting a higher hurdle rate for their investments. You know, so it's getting eventually great companies. Yeah, great companies will figure out how to how to achieve returns and access to the hurdle weight. I want to dig into some of your your haikus and your predictions. Um, so you talked about we, let's let's talk about gold and, and Bitcoin to to yep. start things off. So we like the orange coin. We like gold. Give me some more specific predictions here, and maybe we can maybe we can bring this back. Right, especially gold has a pretty um, pronounced the net inverse correlation to real rates, right? So I'm assuming if you're predicting gold has a good year, we think real rates are going down this year. What do you think? 
hundred percent. Yeah. So look, I, I, I think inflation is going to crash like super crash. You know, I think we'll be sub, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to say sub three by the end of the year. Um, okay. We'll be back in that, in that two zone. We won't get back to two, but, but we sub three by the end of the year. Now that reverses, I will say that reverses if my oil haiku is right, which is, mm-hmm. I think, I think people totally botched the oil patch. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they got afraid, they believed the ESG nonsense and they cut back on spending. And so there is a real chance, right? Like I was traveling for the holidays and there were a lot of people traveling. I mean, went to Park City. There was not a hotel room to be had, right? I yeah, stayed I in a crappy Airbnb and it wasn't crappy, crappy. I mean, it was fine, but you know, I'd take a bus to get to the slope and, and it was, it was not fun with a, with a sick kid um, who, you know, got stomach flu. So he didn't get to ski, but I did get to ski and I had, like I was telling you before we got on air, one of the most glorious ski days ever, 15 inches mm-hmm. of new snow with the super skier taking me to places that no human had been. So it was amazing. But, but a lot of people, I think, misunderstand the supply demand dynamic. And yes, OPEC has spare capacity and they could turn the spigots on and hurt the price. But we tried that, right? Biden tried yeah. to talk to them and plead with them before the election. And they said, nope, we got a new friend, right? Their new bestie is China, right? They want to join the BRICS. This is a big deal. This is a big, big deal. That mm. if the S is not South Africa, South Africa is not a developed market. I mean, it's, mm. I mean, it's not a developing market. It's a developed market. It's a, a real country in, you know, in a continent that, that has a lot of developing countries in it. But South Africa never really belonged in the BRICS. But if you add Saudi to BRICS, that's a big deal. And the... Mm. Uh, I think uh, Kirill Sokolov, who I love, and actually yeah, a bunch of my, my haiku <clears throat> stole from from um, some of his his thoughts, uh, is if I think he calls it the alliance of the aggrieved. Mm. So Russia, China, Saudi, India to a lesser extent, and and Brazil, basically the southern hemisphere, right? basically the Southern hemisphere and, and Saudi doesn't exactly fit there, but it's kind of on the border. Um, but the summer, Southern hemisphere, he had this great stat, 87% of the world's population had no vote in the rules on which they must comply with having to do a mm. dollar hegemony, right? Mm. Bretton Woods was created by the big uglies after the war, all Northern, all Western, all now aging, slowing and these burgeoning countries around the world are now aligning and that creates a really interesting dynamic and it's why it goes back to why i'm wearing the the mining socks today stuff right stuff that's produced you know whether it's oil whether it's gold whether it's minerals think about how much lithium has to be mined Mm. to get to 120 million evs and we've all seen the pictures of the kids, you know, mining cobalt. I'm sure there's a little sensationalism there, but but it's real, right? They got little kids walking around picking up chunks of cobalt, putting it in bags in the DRC because there's only a couple of places on the planet where you can get cobalt. 
So that's a long winding answer to gold Bitcoin. Stuff, like mm. mining materials, you know, gold miners, right? They were just in the in the toilet. And I think they could have a really, really good year. Now, gold, I I think it's gonna have a good year, but it won't have a great year because JP Morgan's gonna spoof it, right? They're gonna try to keep it down because if it takes off, that damns the Fed, basically indicts the Fed uh, by saying that you destroyed the money, right? Mm. Because gold is money, right? And as gold prices rise, we realize that our money is less valuable. Like if mm. other stuff rises, that can be temporal, you know, um, like I think real estate, I think that's a temporal thing. And with rising rates, interest rate, I mean, housing prices are going to fall. But but gold is the ultimate arbiter of, of value. Mm. And uh, that's why I think, I think Bitcoin will have a better year than gold. Like, you know, Schiff's going to be crying again by the end of the year. But uh, he's always crying. He's always crying about something. <laughs> Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with you. I think it's been, you know, it's been funny to watch gold over the gold over the last year is about flat. And, you know, that it's hard to celebrate flat, but then Michael, you look at talking, like bonds, my, my bonds and stocks. Really left out, so I have to let him in. But you keep I, talking. I get the get, I, I wouldn't want the, the, the kitty to feel left out. I, so, know, I mean, yeah. we I want to take like pictures, like tell me you're needy without telling me you're needy. It's like mm. we have three square feet in this house and my dog and cat have to be here so yeah i uh i we we had a we had a uh small dog his name is bandit uh growing up and it was always like bandit he didn't care what you were doing but as soon as you went to the bathroom and closed the door he felt left out and was like scratching him. It's, yeah. yeah it's phenomenal all right i want to get i want to get this idea of a, a pivot here because you know it people are, that does seem like to be a very hated prediction right it's not going to be that simple the fed isn't going to do that but here's the thing. The Fed began hiking in what, November of 21, right? So we're over a year into this hiking cycle. And we know that there's a lag when it comes to when there's a change in monetary accommodation. There's a there's a long lag in between when there's a, a whole series of cascades that tends to happen before the Fed gets what it wants. We know they've been laser focused on employment, right? On a very tight labor market. And honestly, again, today, I mean, the there was the ADP employment numbers, they came back hotter than expected, you know? Yeah. So we still haven't necessarily seen the what the Fed has wanted to see in order for them to ease the brakes here. And honestly, yeah, it's been a bad year for stocks. Not that bad of a year historically, right? And especially when you compare it to the run-up. So I'd be curious, like, when do you think, because I think before the Fed, if, if pivot is a tough word for you to digest, at least eases off the gas, right? We know that they're not gonna continue 50 basis point hikes indeterminately into the future yep. so what do you think we need to see what do you think we are going to see in terms of the other foot falling from this you know cascade uh from the from the monetary accommodation or, or tightening that they no, started look, I, I think that is that is the right question and you know as i say all the time right questions are way more important than answers and that's why you know we make a good pair because i believe i have answers i just talk and and you have all the good questions but that's that's the question we have to answer right which is okay it's fine to say liquidity reigns you know that 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 i believe inflation is fading right mm. that i believe that that's my first five you know syllables uh economies are slowing mm. right it is incontrovertible that economic growth is slowing around the world now 
I will argue it's not collapsing like depression, mm. but it's slowing. And I think that's the point of the lag effect. As you say, as, as rates rise, there's a bite. Um, and, and how have people survived at this point? How did everybody travel this, this Christmas and jack up prices of, of hotels in, in Park City, Utah? Well, they borrowed on credit cards, right? Savings, savings has collapsed from that massive spike, quote unquote, it wasn't really savings, but we handed people money. They called it savings, but that's all gone. I mean, it's, it's literally all gone. And so credit card debt is skyrocketing and that, but, but it, it is, I believe like the 2001 recession, which was very shallow and it had the chance to get really severe post nine 11, but it didn't because people kind of came back. And I think the same thing's going to happen. We'll have this shallow recession. Maybe they don't even actually ever call it a recession, although it's hard to argue. If you look at leading economic indicators, you look at prices paid, you look at ISM, PMI, there's nothing other than employment, which I will argue the employment number is just bogus, right? It's the birth-death ratio problem. The fact that they haven't called a recession means they can keep this nonsense of saying that so many companies have been born and die. I just think that's just bogus. Mm. Uh, and you know, taking people out of the labor market when they turn 65 is just wrong. It's just yeah. not true. Um, but, but facts aside, uh, the Fed isn't going to pivot to cutting anytime soon. Yeah. Which then how does money supply grow? Well, that actually is the one fly <clears throat> in my ointment uh, in the sense of in a world where money supply actually shrunk, global M2 actually shrunk for the first time in, in decades. Uh, it makes perfect sense that equity market struggled, that private market struggled, that real estate market struggled. Um, but I look out at government debt, right? I mean, Japan yeah. last night had to intervene again after they said they weren't going to, they had to go buy bonds because their bond market was seizing. You know, yeah. three months ago, it was the Bank of England. And the Fed is the only buyer for US government bonds. There's, there's no one else around the world. And this uh, alliance of the aggrieved is going to exacerbate that problem, right? <clears throat> if, if they are going to price oil from Saudi to China, from Saudi to or Russia to China, mm. if they're going to price that in renminbi instead of dollars, demand for treasuries as collateral goes down, just does. Mm. And that, I, and that's my other one about about the dollar, right? Mm -hmm. um, King dollar dethroned, and mm. you know, look, we've we've had Brent and the dollar milkshake and. And look, we had the dollar squeeze that he he predicted and, you know, right yeah. on. Brent was yeah. exactly right. But it peaked. And and since uh, October 24th, dollars down like 12, 13 percent. And I, I think it's going down a lot. So. Mm. You know, I actually usually you and I are, are pretty copacetic here, but I, I, I think we're thinking about this a little bit differently. What's going on, guys? Want to give a quick shout out to this episode's sponsor, Curve. They are the one-stop shop credit cards that helps you take control of your personal finances. Here's the reason that I personally love this company. These guys are all about helping you manage and maximize your personal cash flow. We have been talking for the last couple months about everything that the Fed is doing with raising interest rates. 
Obviously, this is not, no one's got a crystal ball. This is not financial advice, but I think it makes sense more than ever now for companies to be managing their cash flow and for you as an individual to be managing your personal cash flow as well. Curve makes it super, super easy to do that. Even I can do it as a technological Philistine. They aggregate all of your spending information in one place. They make it super easy to plan. But they actually go one step further than that. They have a very cool feature called Go Back in Time, which allows you to switch payments from one card to another. So if you have an unexpected expense crop up, boom, you can move that over to your credit card, free up some cash. Or maybe you learned too late that you could have earned more rewards by spending on a different card. Boom, Curve has you covered there too. And the last thing that I'll say is, if you click the link at the bottom of this episode, you'll get $20 in Curve cash, but you'll only get that if you click the vanity link at the bottom of this episode. Plus, that gives me the credit as well. So thank you, Curve. I appreciate you caring about cash flow. Guys, click the link at the bottom of this episode. Tell my sent you. You know, my pushback to no one's going to buy U.S. government bonds is, um, one, I, I people always say that, but then there's a crisis and then everyone does want them. Uh, so, I, you know, like my just more recent memory, you know, kind of flies in the face of that. But also, one thing that actually guys like Brent have helped me look at is I used to look at the United States as just a country, but now I kind of look at it as a modern version of an empire. And one thing that empires have done consistently is found some way to extract tribute uh, from their sort of vassal states. Mm -hmm. And there's a pretty shocking statistic that's just out there. The U.S., the Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, is projecting a $1.6 trillion deficit every year for the next 10 years. That's $16 trillion added to the national debt, which is pretty nuts. And... You know, one way that you could do that is say, oh, we're, we're going to keep buying up our own bonds, right? Or we're going to rely on demand. Or the U.S. could kind of flex its influence and say, hey, I know that you, you other countries, you know, China and our allies in Europe, we know you don't really want to buy government bonds, but we'd really prefer if you buy the government bonds. And we're not going to tell you that outright. What we're going to do is say, for your own safety, we think X percentage in your banks you know, in order to be safe, U.S. you know debt is the safest debt that exists. So, you know, to be reserved properly, you should really hold X percentage of government bonds. And if you look at like Basel two and three, like one way you could look at that is like <laughs> it looks. I mean, a a a definite um, consequence of that is that banks own more bonds, government bonds, than they used to. So, I've always that's the one thing I've always pushed back on a little bit. No, no. Look, I, I think it's a, it's a it's a it's a really compelling um, alternative view, and 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 something to that effect has indeed happened, right? Yeah. I mean, we we ran a four trillion dollar with a T deficit in 2020, and I think you know it, it got significantly smaller this year because of the accounting, the magic. I love right. this. You release oil from the SPR, and somehow that's a net export. Are you mm-hmm. freaking kidding me? No, no, it's not. Um, and just made the deficit go away. Okay, fine, whatever. Um, it's just silly. It's just just account. It's 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 account. It's as much accounting gibberish. You know, I hate to pick on him when he's down, but you know, poor Benioff, right? And CRM. Uh, finally, people realized. You mean stock based compensation actually isn't revenue? What? What? <laughs> what? And uh, you know, he's gonna make big layoffs. Stock is collapsing. I mean, look that 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 company doesn't make any money. I I I I, I don't know why the stock should be worth anything. So mm. that that's a 
it's a giant sales Ponzi, right? They, mm. they hired 30,000 salespeople to buy people steak dinners and, you know, buy software that they don't really use. I mean, I think about all the CRM software that people have and they don't actually put stuff in it. Mm. I mean, we have it and I've never used it. Not once, not ever, never like logged into Salesforce, not ever. And mm. we should just cancel it. Maybe we will. Um, so I, I, I look at this from the standpoint of uh, just reality, right? Just normal, harsh reality, cold, harsh reality. The U.S. government has never, never is a long time, right? Never paid more than 3.2% of GDP in interest. Yeah. Right? And that was at the peak, World yeah. War II peak. Uh, it got down as low when we were at zero interest rates of 1.6% of GDP, mm -hmm. based on the forecast that you appropriately identified from the CBO, <laughs> we're going to 7.2. That ain't happening. It's yeah, just not. Right? I agree. It's, it's just not. And yeah. the idea that it somehow, well, it has to. Yeah. It, it can't. I mean, it, it literally can't. There's not enough wealth to tax. There's not enough income to tax. It can't happen. Yeah. The things that can't happen don't happen. And right. so what must happen is a rollover in interest rates. This is not the 70s, right? They've tried to convince us of stagflation and this is the 70s. It's not. We're in a deflationary spiral. We're in an aging population. Old people, right? We don't buy stuff. Okay. Yeah, I know. 85 year olds in particular. By the buy way, bonds it, though. Pardon? Buy bonds though. <laughs> you they do think. buy bonds. They, they do buy bonds and, and they're going to have to buy bonds mm -hmm. because someone's going to have to buy them. Yeah. But, but the reality is they, they'll also sell them, right? Cause they have mm -hmm. to live. So yeah. they will definitely buy them, but then they will sell them to, to pay their bills, right? They live on a fixed mm -hmm. income. Yeah. And so I, I look at it and say on the fed, how, high can they turn the crank before everything breaks, right? I mean, the government can, in theory, again, according to the cult of Kelton, spend as much as they want with no consequences. Mm. I think we've seen in the last couple of years that maybe that didn't actually work. I have a, I have a, sorry, I have a slightly alternative theory. No, no. I, I listened to a great interview that my colleague Jack Farley gave Oh, mm -hmm. I'm going to forget her name, but she's a scholar on the second national bank of the United States. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yep. so this is going all the way back to, you know, Hamilton times, right? But he proposed a national bank, which isn't exactly like a central bank, like the yep. Fed, but there was yep. a national bank. The reason that he did that was there was an enormous amount of debt post-revolutionary war. Also, the debt was like issued from various different states. You know, this was pre, like we had the articles of Confederate, this is pre what the modern empire of the United States yep. looks like today. But, uh, the the reason for that was that we needed a way to, to kind of centralize and monetize that debt more effectively. Mm -hmm. And he transformed the debt, right? Kind of pushed out interest payments. And then an interesting thing that at least happened in the, the second national bank is there was a transformation of debt to equity, right? So there's actually some of that debt actually gets transferred to equity yeah, in the bank. Yeah. There's restructuring, these are classic restructuring moves. Yeah. And that's that's kind of how you do these things. So to your point about this debt and interest payments that we can't. I also am of the belief that 
this isn't going to just continue, right? Eventually, there's an enormous amount of hubris, which we're the issuer of the reserve currency. These things don't matter to us. They matter to us. They don't matter for a longer time than you would normally right. think because right. we are an empire and we have tremendous privilege. But eventually, for other empires in the past, they've mattered as well. There's a limited number of options that that you have to restructure. I That's why I do think I'm with you on inflation for this year, but I think structurally, inflation is here to stay if for no other reason. Forget Everything else. Forget everything else. Forget the demographics. Forget the you know geopolitical strife and different labor pools. It has to happen because eventually the U.S. has two moves: either to deflate, reinflate some of that debt away, or default. Because there's, we're not going to grow our way out of this at this point. It's obviously no, not. No, we're, we're definitely not going to grow. We're definitely not going to pay it back. Uh, we can't really restructure it because no one will take the other side. You know, right. we're not going to give away equity in the United States to other people. Now, no. could we? Could we? monetize assets. You know, everybody always looked at one side of the balance sheet when they talk about the United States. I mean, the United States mm-hmm. owns incredible assets, right? National parks, yeah. land, I mean, mineral rights, resources, I mean, incredible assets. But are you going to sell Yosemite <laughs> to the Chinese? Probably not. And, you know, are you going to sell it to a bunch of billionaires? Me. Probably not. I mean, they don't have enough money because you're taxing it, right? You want to steal all their money. So now, you know, if you made him a trade, like I've been watching Yellowstone, right? You, you, could, you could sell them Montana, um, you know, where you're from. And uh, okay, um, but the people in Montana wouldn't like that very much. Um, mm-hmm. And Beth would come come get you, but, uh, you know. I've got, uh, I actually want to return as well to what you were saying with Salesforce and unemployment. So one, something that's a little funny and interesting, right? Is I saw this, I saw this, um, this statistic on Twitter, I don't have it exactly right off the top of my head, but there was some, it was something like if you basically just eliminated all the jobs in tech, all these CRM, you know, Salesforce, Google, Amazon type jobs, that would impact unemployment rate in the US by like 25 basis points, 0.25 or something like that. It's a very, very small, but highly visible portion of the portion of the population. And one reason maybe that the Fed, that unemployment hasn't moved even, even as interest rates have hiked up. If you think about the environment that it's been for the last couple of years, the Fed has been lowering interest rates. That's allowed you know, tech stocks to soar. That's like yep. them printing currency. They've given that to employees. They've hot, But it's still, it impacts such a small portion of the population. Now what you're seeing is a rotation because interest rates have gone back up. Those tech stocks have gotten absolutely smacked. Yep. But the companies that have underperformed like energy have risen and they actually employ far more people. You know what I mean? So there's almost a an interesting effect here where this this isn't a demand-driven inflation. This is supply-driven inflation for the time on, in, on top of the yeah. money printing. But there's a huge supply problem. So I wonder if the Fed is going to get what it wants. It's taking much longer for the Fed to get what it wants, I think, because yeah. of these. Well, not every inflation is the exact same. I know. I, 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 I think that is, a again, a compelling, compelling argument, you know, straw man. I just always look at it that, look, the Fed, you know, it's a building full of PhDs, mm-hmm. right? Like some of the smartest people on the planet, in yeah. theory, according to their credentials, work there. And yet they're over. Like I, I, I keep this stat. I mean, they're over 238 or 39, whatever, predictions of GDP for the next quarter. Not like for 10 years out, but just for the next quarter. They're mm-hmm. over. They've never got it right. Mm-hmm. So I always wonder, 
you know, are they too cute by half or too smart by half? And, and they're too smart for their own good. And, and therefore they don't, they think they're so smart and the markets aren't smart. And therefore they just don't react to the right stimulus. It's, I don't know, it, it's, it's weird because they clearly didn't acknowledge what happened. You know, you lock down the world and everything goes to zero and then you unleash everybody and it all goes up a lot. And you measure that and you say, oh, that's inflation. I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't think oil prices are going to triple again. Mm. I think they're going to go higher, but I don't think they're going to go from 40 to 120 again. Mm. And the fact that they are now down over the last 12 months means that component of CPI is negative, not positive. Mm -hmm. So hard to overcome that. And so this idea that they're, they're waiting to react for something whatever that thing is, whether it's this, you know, mythical employment dip. Um, I don't know. And, and my thing still about focus on the wrong thing about the number of jobs. An executive at a tech company is different than a waiter or waitress. Not, mm. not good or bad people, but the amount of income generated by an executive at a tech fund that has to get a job as a barista and maybe that's too extreme, but those jobs are not equivalent. Mm. You know, I, I use the same example of, of Twitter. Likes, oh, I hear you. Right. Yeah. My like <clears throat> of a nutrition tweet is not useful. Mm. I'm not a nutritionist. My like or dis, you know, of, of, of an investment, I hope has some value, but maybe in some areas not. But things are not the same. Right? A job is not a job. A minimum wage job is not the same as a 150K job. It's not the same as a million dollar job. It's just not. But we mm. count them the same. And that's weird. Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you all for listening to On The Margin. Just wanted to give you guys a heads up about a conference that we have coming up in the new year called Permissionless. I'm sure most of you have been there last year. Uh, it is the cultural event of the year. We had over 5,500 people down in Palm Beach. This year, we are moving to Austin, Texas. You know what they say about Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas. <laughs> uh, so last year, we had a really great lineup of speakers. We had the two co-founders of Robinhood, Vlad Tenev and Baiju Bot. We had Chris Dixon. We had some of the folks that have been on the show a whole bunch of times, Jim Bianco, Dan Tapiero. Just a phenomenal lineup of speakers, and you can expect the same this year. If you use Margin 10, you'll get 10% off on a ticket. Again, that's Margin 10, because I love you guys so much. Click the link at the bottom of the show notes. Hope to see you there in person. I have a I have a question for you as well about one thing that you always hear about inflation is it's this extremely regressive tax that impacts the lowest income earners. Yep. But I've increasingly been seeing, you know, like if you look at real wage changes, right, adjusted for inflation, mm -hmm. the income demographic that got the biggest raises this last year was the lowest one. They did better than every other one. And the one that got crushed was the middle the middle part. So the top, the people at the very top income earners, they protected their wealth, right? Mm -hmm. They have a lot of leverage. Mm -hmm. The lowest ones, uh, they actually did even better from a yeah, proportion okay. standpoint. And the ones who were not able to maintain pricing power was kind of the middle, what you basically call, you know, the the middle class or whatever in, in America. Yeah, probably the they lower got, middle class, but but yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I get you. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. You hear all the time, like it's this very regressive, but but apparently, I mean, that's not what the data has actually shown this last year. Cur curious how you think about that. Price fixing, right? Mm. You know, a bunch of people passed a bunch of stupid laws to raise minimum wage, um, I think is, is the biggest uh, 
Look, I, I don't agree with price fixing of any kind. Mm-hmm. And I know other people disagree with me, but I, I think it's always bad, whether mm-hmm. it's minimum wage, whether it's interest rates, whether it's rent control. All price fixing is bad. Markets mm-hmm. should, should control prices. If someone wants to work for a lower wage, why wouldn't you let them? Mm-hmm. It just makes no sense to me. Well, I know it's best for you. No, it's a virtue signaling. It's just pure mm-hmm. virtue signaling. It's buying votes. And, and, and impoverishing a restaurant owner because he has to pay his dishwashers more, even though there's massive supply of people who will dish and people, oh, there aren't. Well, that's, pop- that's possibly true because of problems with, with immigration right now. Um, and the net new, and again, I don't mean this is a very privileged seat, but there are jobs that the average person just doesn't want to do. I think I've told the story on, on here the time I went to, to China with, with my partners and, and we went and, and got this foot massage thing. And you know, it's an hour, you sit in a chair and they give you a bowl of noodles and a beer and an hour foot massage for $10. Mark, this made a big impression on you. I wish I could have been there for this foot massage. And, and I sat there thinking, <laughs> what American teenager would do this job? Mm. What American teenager would do that job? Mm-hmm. And those girls not only did the job, they were like saving the money so they could Mm -hmm. open their own store. And my mind was just blown. Like that is entrepreneurial spirit. That is, and there are a whole bunch of things that people say, I'm not just not doing that, Mm. you know, but in a tough environment, people are door dashing, right? People are Uber driving. People are Lyft driving. Um, and I told the story of the woman I met driving Lyft, who's that's her second job. And she is pulling herself out of the, the streets of South Philly. I mean, she's got she's got grit. Mm. But I. I don't know, I, I think. When you when you price fix. You create. Unintended consequences. Always. Yeah. And I. I um, Look I think at the that, decimation in the restaurant space. How many restaurants do you know personally that have shut down? A lot. A lot. Like a I lot. I don't know what. Yeah, I have been scratching my head about that. I as a, I used to be a waiter, and if you're a waiter, actually, I mean, it depends on every depends on every uh, location, right? But you you actually make pretty decent money as a waiter. Like yeah. the you know the it's not it it doesn't pay with like a classic minimum wage job like Correct. if you work you know if if you if you uh do you work you know, do, do your double well? shifts and everything no you can make i mean you can make really good money and tipping has gone up quite a bit i've i've always kind of wondered about that like i you know you you can't see find people in restaurants but somehow people are stocking retail like why are people taking retail jobs as opposed to being a waiter it's a million times just as a just personally retail's yeah. the if you've worked in in the service industry before it's the open seat, like retail is the absolute worst. You, you don't want to work. Like it's waiting. It's actually, I always found that pretty engaging. You at least talk to people and. Well, but you have around. a personality and you're affable and, <laughs> and, and, and it's hard to get a job, right? I mean, you know, good looking guy walks in affable, you're hired, you know, the average person curmudgeonly mad at the world, you know, I hate to throw him under the bus, my little brother and getting to get a job as, <laughs> as a waiter. Cause he's just, he's just grumpy. Like, this, dude, this, be happy, right? And then you get a job. This restaurant made me open, as part of my test, a bottle of wine. This was like a semi-upscale restaurant. I had to open a, uh, a bottle of wine in front of them. Have you ever tried to open a bottle of wine like this with your hand and you show them the bottle of wine? It's actually – it's, I'm actually glad I can do it now. It's kind of a cool that, party, party yeah. trick. 
Yeah. Well, and and but, using a real, you know, corkscrew as opposed to, you know, the, the, the no, the, the no mess, no fuss ones. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, that, that's, you know, you put it on, oh, you miss, you know, you break the cork. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're in trouble. Test. Okay. Let's talk about your, your other sort of non, non-consensus bet, which is Europe, right? So you just seated a long, only European. So, I've been listening. Actually, the we have a podcast on our network, the Macro Trading Floor. We've got two Europeans actually, so uh, Andreas Stenelarsen and Alfonso Becatiello. Oh, uh, they're 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 great. Um, they're phenomenal uh, analysts and managers, and they were doing some predictions. They they've been covering, you know, just being based out of the the EU. They've been covering some of the the ECB meetings from Madame Lagarde, who's gone extremely hawkish. It kind of seems like the Europe, you know, the European, uh, you know, hiking cycle is just you know, six months delayed basically to the United States. And there's obviously a limit, right? Right. It's hard. Yeah. There's a limit to what they can, I don't think they can hike as aggressively, right? They've got for a number of different reasons, they, they can't do what we're doing, but I don't know. I mean, what, what do you think about the, why, what makes you bullish on, on Europe? Um, price, right. Mm -hmm. I mean, prices of stuff just got crazy cheap. Mm -hmm. Um, people were afraid of, you know, nuclear winter and, in the EU and that Russia was going to turn off the gas and everybody was going to freeze. And look, I'm, there are a lot of people that suffered really terrible hardships. I, I don't want to diminish that at all. I mean, but thankfully, right. They didn't have a super cold winter and thankfully Russia didn't turn off the gas. Um, and, you know, we don't see the tweets of the thousand dollar gas bills anymore. Um, so I, I just think there's a, a little bit of, of normalization. Um, but there's also, Ultimately, I think it all goes back to China, right? Which is, we made China the enemy, right? Cold War 2.0. But is that enemy or opportunity? I'm, I'm thinking it's actually opportunity. You know, if you're in Germany and China's locked down, you can't sell them BMWs or Volkswagens, right? Best-selling car in China is a Volkswagen, actually. Um, can't sell them cars, can't sell machine tools. Um, but if suddenly COVID zero vanishes and it reopens, the biggest beneficiary is Europe. And if you look at the Belt and Road Initiative, it was this long creation, recreation of the Silk Road, which was from Europe to the Far East. And, and yes, along the way, they take over Africa and, you know, Asia, India and, and you know, Greece, right? Which they bought up all the, the strategic ports. Um, which Greece is another interesting place. It's been terrible for a long time. And I was early euphemism for wrong, but I think Greece is, is actually interesting again um, as an investment haven. But I really think this, again, the axis of the aggrieved favors Europe as opposed to the US. We made China the enemy. We missed the opportunity that it used to be about made in China and importing. Now it's about made for China and export. Mm. It's the greatest consumptive force in the history of mankind. 750 mm. million people out of abject poverty into middle class want to be upper class. That demographic, and, and look, it's like 1974, whatever, in China, in terms of consumption and transitioning mm. from a manufacturing economy to a consumer economy. Think about the United States in 1974, 
We were still on the heels of being the manufacturing engine of the world post-World War II. But then we went suddenly with the deal, right? And 74 is the important year. One, WEF got created. Two, Nixon, you know, shut the gold window. I said that was 71, but 74 was 71. the crystallization of gold being uh, legal again. And basically from that point, everything's been about consumption. Right. Mm. Now we're 72% of our economy. We just entertain each other, right? We've talked about this, right? We're providing entertainment. People listen to it. We're not producing. Oh, Mark, I've got a great, I've got a great little anecdote for you on this. So I read, do you know Arthur Clarke, the yeah. sci-fi author? So I read, it's actually his first novel. A lot of people think it's his best. It's called Childhood's End. And I'm not gonna, I don't, I'm not gonna spoil it because it's, yeah. it's a great, it's a great book. Childhood's but end. the prep, the premise, which you, which you figure out in the first 20 minutes or whatever is that aliens come down to earth and they basically solve all of our problems. There's a, there's a lot that goes on after that, but it's an interesting hypothetical that he sort of explores. Aliens come down, they have technology, you know, a thousand years, you know, thousands of years advanced to our arsenals, no point in fighting them or doing anything. And they actually take over and they solve a lot of our problems. They create a global constitution. Whenever there is an active, you know, a horrible thing that people do like genocide or big racial stuff. Like they stop it. They don't allow that. Yeah. But they basically let us do. So we're kind of, so they're, how would society look after that? Well, two big things, scientific development and advancement basically stops. What's the point of laboring for something that's been discovered thousands of years hence. And yep. these aliens are just going to give you the technology. Yep. You know, it becomes the biggest industry in that paradigm. Entertainment. Entertainment, yeah. entertainment. And it's, this in 1953, he predicts, he said, there is such a level of entertainment that some people are said to consume as much as three hours per day of <laughs> media and television and radio. Isn't yeah. that a hilarious statistic? Oh, no. what, what's crazy about that, right, is because at the time that was unthinkable. 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 And unthinkable. now I made, I made one of my New Year's resolutions to reduce the screen time on my phone two, three hours a day. I would be mm -hmm. stoked if I could do only oh three hours gosh. a day on my phone, on my phone. Holy moly, is, I don't, I need one. I, I'm probably, it's only eight o'clock. I mean, it's only nine o'clock and I'm probably halfway there. Probably, yeah, I know. Same. Um, so. And, and I've been like that since we've been on, but yeah. I, no, I think that's amazing. And, and, and to that point, I, I tweeted out the, the picture of the guy who showed himself from the screen time playing Fortnite for 14 hours and 54 minutes in one day right? Not cumulatively over the week in one day. So he's living in the metaverse. You know, he is entertaining himself. Um, now the question is, does that provide anything productive, right? I mean, playing Fortnite, you could argue, okay, he's entertaining himself and he's helping entertain some others because there's collaboration and stuff, but not collaboration, you're trying to kill each other, but, but other people yeah. are involved and it's good for Epic Games, because they're making lots of money. Um, but I don't know. It, it's a, it's a, it is a weird dynamic that, especially the part you say about innovation stopping. That's the thing. If, if you're scrolling Instagram, you're actually not thinking about investments to make. If mm -hmm. you are, you know, mindlessly you know, scrolling Twitter, you're not, manufacturing a new computer right it it's it's interesting and and look look you know i i lived my whole career i made anything right i mm -hmm. 
you know, I, I make money for clients. Maybe that's something, but I don't make it. I mean, I, I move assets around and I get compensated for taking risks, but I don't physically make stuff. Now the companies maybe that we invest in do make stuff, especially in venture capital. And that, that's the one place where I will argue we are adding net positive value because we're mm. backing founders to build businesses that create real stuff. Um, on that, I'm, I'm going to throw this out. I'm going to shock you here. Um, so I was at lunch yesterday with, you know, our largest client and, and he happens to be uh, friendly with, with Ben Hunt, who I know mm. you've had on your show. Mm. And look, I actually, I think I don't, I don't know if I actually ever met him in person. I know I've, mm. I know I've talked to him over zoom and, and stuff, not zoom, but, but in the old days. Uh, and he worked for a firm that I had a, a problem with falling out. But here's the offer. I want to bury the hatchet because I don't have any hatchet. I actually have no hatchet. I, mm. I don't dislike him. For some reason, I, I hear he dislikes me. But mm. whether we do it on the show, whether we do it somewhere else, we need to just because we're, we're actually more alike than we are different. Mm. And you know, he's got a thing now for BlockFi. And I'd love to talk to him about it because he's got some bad data that I would like to, to give him the right data. Uh, he's not the same conclusion if he wants, but, but at least do it with the right data. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's, that's the offer to hundred percent. Ben, if you're listening, that would be, I think that'd be excellent either on the margin or just a lunch or whatever. I think yeah. that'd be, I think that'd be awesome. Um, I want to, I want to get back to your, your point that you're making about people making stuff. And so I've, I'm really torn about this personally. I've, I've waffled. My personal opinion has changed because you hear a lot of, you know, a lot of negative sentiment in America is attributed laid at the feet of social media. And part of me, just, there's been so many kind of moral panics, right? Remember like in the late nineties, early two, it was video games, video yep. game violence is causing yep. crime. And that yep. has largely been disproven. And that's not true. There was a moral panic about Satanism, you know, this cult sure. of Satanism and deviation from religion. And we look back at those things as being just signs of the times and not, there was not very much merit to that. So it's really easy to see social media through that lens, but I have to, but I, you know, I don't know. I've really been questioning lately how I don't think it has a super positive impact from a happiness standpoint on my life. Another paradigm that you could look at it through is we still have smoking today, right? We we've decided, okay, smoking is not good for you, but we're going to allow it. But if you're a smoke, Hey, if you're a smoke, if you're, producing tobacco first of all you got to pay a lot of tax second mm -hmm. of all you got to put filters in and stuff like mm -hmm. that i wonder if we're just living in an age of social media before we discover the need for the proverbial filter right because oh so that's know, a great analogy getting exposed to this stuff you know with no limitation and they're they're this is what they do they engineer dopamine hits that's what they're they're cooking up in silicon valley they're yeah. that's what they want they want to elicit that so you are like a rat in a maze getting cocaine from the little feeder, no, no, you know, no, no, so no, that no. you come and, back. And it's not just you saying it, right? Pomp Something about that just seems Facebook wrong. Yeah. Said on the top of the whiteboard in every conference room, it said addiction. Mm -hmm. I'm like, come on. Really? Yes. That's nuts. No. That's that, again, he's not making it up for a fact. We're just having a conversation. He's like, Mark, at the top of the, the bullet or the whiteboard in the conference room, it said addiction. So that's what we're going for, addiction. Yeah. And so, but look, you know, we see the pictures, 
in the 1800s, everybody's ignoring each other, reading a book. And then we see the picture in the 1900s, everybody's ignoring each other on the train, reading the newspaper. So it's, it's all good. Mm-mm. Reading a book, way different than scrolling Instagram. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I orders of magnitude. I mean, reading a good book, even if it's a bad book, reading a book, you have to use your mind. You're engaging in a story. There's, 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 there's thought. And, and it's it's not the constant dopamine and and again the attention right focused reading is hard mm-hmm. right people don't read for hours and hours and they they can't even look at a picture for more than a couple seconds or milliseconds it's just scroll 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 the second thing newspaper back then the newspaper had long form journalism like both sides of a story, not headlines that were sensational to get the the clicks, right? There was actual journalism. There was actually stories. There was public interest. It wasn't, you know, fires and avalanches and, and you know, that's what, you know, TV news was for. Um, all they just talk about fires and, and shootings. But anyway. here's the thing. I mean, that's what people want. So, you know, I have a friend who works for, this is backed by A16Z and Gary, it over, it's called Overtime Media. Mm-hmm. And they have a sports league, like a junior sports league that they invested in. You know what their biggest problem is for this sports league? Gen Z doesn't want to sit through a whole sports game. Right. So they're, they're changing the rules of the league to make it everything shorter. And look, I, look. The, again, there's just two ways that you could look at this. Like, there's the old generation; they're always shaking their heads. You can go back. I used to, I used to. There's a passage I had to translate in school that I remember. Aristophanes was a Greek uh, comedic uh, playwright, and this was, you know, some two odd thousand years ago. And they're describing a scene where this father is lamenting the pursuits of his son, the youth, because all he wants to do is play dice. You know, yeah. when we, yeah. when we were young, you know, it's the, it's, it's the 2000, 2000 year old version of Love it. when I was a child, I walked to school, both uphill, both, uphill ways, both into, ways into the wind, in the snow, you know, and it's just unbelievable passage. You can look at it. It's like, all they want to do is play dice. So, uh, you know, it's so hard for me to break it apart, but I don't know. It's a, uh, it is interesting. I think the thing to watch for those tech companies is, and the other reason I sort of give them a. Investors haven't demanded profitability. They have been indexing for and optimizing towards what investors say they wanted and are willing to pay for, which is growth at all costs. That I think, I think that's changing. It seems like we're at the we're at the beginning of, of that changing. And now I think a lot of these tech companies have actually built really strong businesses. And we'll see. There, there's going to be a change internally from a culture standpoint. These layoffs are probably going to continue to happen. But I think you're going to see them, the ones that can turn on the profitability spigot, they will do it. And they'll be all the more, and the investors will keep rewarding that. But that's also, you know, that's the the business cycle, right? The industry life cycle. And all they're right. probably transitioning from growth to more value. All right. I'm going to close with one last haiku. Straight okay. up on the spot. 2023. Investing will be more fun. Watch on the margin. <laughs> All right. We got to close on that. That was phenomenal. Uh, it will be more fun. Mark, favorite hour of my week, my friend. Uh, this is a great one. I will awesome. uh, I'll see you here next week. Thanks, All right. Mark.
Cheers. Cheers.